So we are um, in the book of John as our, for our gospel reading, and I believe it was also last week. And John is, um, I don't know if you noticed when the gospel was being read, but John can be pretty hard to follow. Um, and it, I mean, I'm reminded of the words of the great uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, who, in talking about John, said that John is a lot like his wife. He loves her dearly, but he, but he doesn't claim to understand her. And that, that feels about right. Because Jesus, is, he's talking, and he's suddenly like, you know, um, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled, but the Father, and I'm in the Father, Father's in me, and I'm going to prepare a place, but the Father will be in in me with you, but wait, will you be with the Father? Like, it's easy, it's easy to get confused <laughs> to the point where I had trouble reading it this service. I don't know if you noticed. My eye kept jumping to different concepts. Um, so one of the ways that we can approach just John in general, and I think the best way to understand where we are in this story, is that you have to pay very careful attention to context. Um, because John is very contextual. Um, this is also where chapter and verse divisions don't really help us, uh, because really chapter 13 to about 17 are supposed to be just one continuous moment. And so when in our reading it starts at verse 14, verse 1, it's easy to think, Jesus is just starting there, but there's a whole backstory to it. Um, now, in chapter 13, right before this moment, Jesus is having his final meal with his disciples. He knows that he has hours, not days to live. He knows that it's going to go poorly for him. So there's already a heaviness there. He's revealed to his disciples that some, one of their own is going to betray him. I mean, imagine that. Like, you're one of 12 people who have traveled with this guy for three years. You've given up everything. And one of them is going to stab him in the back. Already, this is heavy. And you can imagine the kind of frustration and the grumbling that's going on amongst them. And then uh, Jesus does some really odd things. Like he gets up and starts washing his disciples' feet. That's disgusting. Don't touch my feet. I will not touch yours. Let's keep it there. Um, now, Peter. Uh, Peter is, has been really designated and in some ways groomed to be the leader of the disciples after Jesus is gone. And this is exactly what happens in the book of Acts after Jesus ascends to the Father, G, uh, Paul, or Paul, Peter functions very much like the leader for a while. And so Peter, being kind of the boisterous blowhard that he is, says to Jesus, absolutely not, I should be washing your feet. Now, Peter's actually correct. There's no reason for like a well-respected rabbi to wash anybody's feet. That's the work of servants. So Peter, 
absolutely is correct and going, no, 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 I should be washing your feet. And then Jesus says, look, if I don't wash your feet, like you have no part with me. To which Peter, of course, goes, well, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is basically like, slow down. Um, but Jesus' response when he, when he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me, um, that seems a little odd for a foot bath. Are we still talking about just like washing? No, of course not. This is Jesus um, through John's pen talking about baptism. So you have all of that kind of floating around. And then as, as time goes on in chapter 13, there's, things get heavier. Jesus has been warning his disciples that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be executed at some point very soon. And his disciples don't really get it. They hear him, but sometimes they think that like, that's wrong. Um, but I'm sure that the heaviness was obvious. Like you hang around your rabbi and the goal is to do everything like your rabbi. You're going to learn to pick up on those cues. There's a heaviness that's starting to form as Jesus enters into what uh, scholars will call the farewell discourses, which is how all of this starts. Um, Jesus is effectively saying goodbye to his friends. Um, in the process of saying that, Peter says, well, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go anywhere, even if it, in, if it means my death. And um, Jesus then drops yet another bomb. He says to, to Peter, look, before all of this is over, you're going to deny that you even know me. And you're going to do it three times. Talk about a knife to the heart, right? So between all of that, like just this growing anxiety of what's coming, the revelation that one of their own is a traitor, Jesus doing some very strange, culturally speaking, things, uh, taking on like the role of a servant and starting to say that it's, it's time to go. And obviously he doesn't mean like to the store, that that this is it, this is the moment that we've been kind of preparing for. And not only that, but the person that is chosen to be the leader is going to drop the ball really hard. That's a lot to happen in one very short evening. And it's in that context that Jesus begins with what our reading started. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. Now we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on everything he says in, the, in that reading. We're going to just focus on this point. Jesus says, don't be troubled. Now, who here, don't raise your hand, but who here has ever been told, hey, calm down? Did it work? 
No, of course not. I, I, I feel comfortable saying that it's probably never worked. I mean, just by sheer probability, it has, it has worked at some point, like once. Or if you're really anxious about something, something big, not something small, uh, like getting to the airport on time, but something big, and someone says, hey, don't worry, man. Thanks. That just fixed my problem. Um, I recall, I think it was about two years ago. Time is hard these days. Um, but when I lost my job, <laughs> and someone would say, hey, man, don't worry. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it just doesn't help to say to somebody, hey, calm down, don't be anxious, uh, whatever. And, and so that re- raises the question, why? And I think, I think in large part, it's because it just denies that person. Like if, if somebody is anxious about something, it, it obviously, even if it's not a big deal, it feels like a big deal in that moment. And to just say, hey, don't worry, is to say, look, I don't care what you're going through. It's to kind of deny that experience. It dismisses it. It expresses apathy. Sometimes it can even, in, in certain ways, be, hey, you need to calm down because I don't feel okay if you're not calm. And that's a whole other ball of wax. But to say to somebody or to have it said to you, hey, don't worry, calm down, just, you know, chin up and, and all of that good stuff. Keep calm, carry on. Um, it's to deny what somebody is going through. And it's very passive. It ignores. And, and that can be really painful like in relationships, it's not the aggression that can be as damaging. I mean, aggression can be damaging, but apathy can damage so much worse. Passivity, there's a certain passivity that comes from, eh, just calm down. Or, eh, don't, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. Eh, don't be anxious. Um, it's one thing to be hated, it's another thing entirely to have somebody nothing you. And if somebody just doesn't care what you're going through or they're just, eh, calm down, you'll be fine, don't worry about it, whatever. It feels like nothing. Unless the person saying that has skin in the game. For example, like when I lost my job a couple of years ago, um, there was at least one person who said, hey man, don't worry about it. Um, I actually, I've got an opportunity to do some contract work. That's different. Totally different. Because it's not dismissing, it's actually taking it pretty seriously and it's, I had options suddenly. Hey, we were gonna eat, this is good. If somebody has skin in the game, if somebody is invested in some way, if somebody has the ability to help, to get involved, to jump in, then to say something like, don't be anxious, don't let your heart be troubled, 
that changes things. That's not a dismissal, calm down, I don't care about what you're going through. That says a lot about engagement. Now think about Jesus' situation with his disciples right now, or in that moment of John 14. Um, He has revealed to them that they are about to lose everything. Everything is going to bottom out. And um, even the guys that they've come to love and trust as their brothers, that they are they're going to make horrible mistakes. Everything is going to fall apart. Their whole system. And yet Jesus is the one who has the most skin in the game. Pun intended. It's his skin that's on the line. The events that are causing this heaviness that that is going to cause everybody to lose everything, it's actually his back that's going to be broken. He's the one that's truly going to lose. And yet he knows that that's not the end of the story. That by losing everything, he's actually going to accomplish and win everything for his disciples. And that's kind of how the, the, what we call the farewell discourses works. Jesus is getting them ready because everything is going to change in the best way possible, but first they're going to lose everything. And so instead, it's actually very appropriate for him to say, don't be anxious, just trust. Now, 2,000 years removed from this moment, we as, as God's people, members of the family of Jesus, um, we have some promises made to us. The first is that at some point in the future, what God does for Jesus when he raises him from the dead, he will do for us. That's one of those core moments and teachings for the way of the way of Jesus, that what God did for Jesus, he will do for us. So we know how the story ends, even if it's extremely messy in the moment. That the final word over our lives is not going to be failure and death, but the final word over our lives is will someday be resurrection. And with that in mind, we will look back and we will see that ultimately God is telling in our lives a story of redemption. That's sometime in the future, big picture. But the way of Jesus also has another component to that tension. Because in the moment now can be quite messy. I don't know if you've noticed, but human life is sort of a mess. And it's hard. I don't know what everybody here is going through. I know what some of you are going through. And it's hard. It's scary. I am not here to say, don't worry about it. Because you have plenty of reason to. But Jesus likewise has skin in the game. Again, pun intended. 
The way of Jesus is not the story of a God who is detached. God revealing God's self to us is not just by way of like some phantasm or a ghosty, spiritually kind of thing. God revealing who God is to us is first and foremost by a man who turns out to be his own son, a man who walked on the earth and did all the normal human things. He experienced all the, the full range of human emotion, love and loss and frustration and despair and all these other things. He, he gets it. And he is deeply invested in the lives of his people. When Jesus ascended to the Father, uh, it's not like he said, okay, I'll see you guys later. It's him taking the throne and ruling over us. He offers himself in his word, in the body and the blood, uh, sacramentally, physically, viscerally. When we are baptized in the name of Jesus as we enter into uh, his, his family, that's intended. It's, the, it's water. It's the stuff of earth. Because Jesus has, the skin, has his skin in our game. It was his skin and his back that was broken for us to win our forgiveness, to make peace with God, to establish us as his members or as the members of his family. As partakers in resurrection, both here now, as the Spirit grows in us, and at some point in the future. So when Jesus tells us, don't let your hearts be troubled, this is not a trite statement, it's not a dismissal, it's not, he's not even being cute. He's saying this is somebody who has skin in the game. And that's so much better. Amen.